Berserker Cast Episode 1 Series Recap. Golden Spiral Media presents Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304-837-2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. everybody and welcome back to berserker cast i'm daryl and i'm emily how are you tonight i'm doing very well how are you you know what i am doing pretty good all things considered for those of you who have joined us in the live show you know exactly what i'm talking about if you're catching this in the feed later on you have no idea all the technical issues we've been battling tonight but We trudged through them, and we're making the best of it. So the short version of it is we've had to reschedule our interview with Todd Masters, which is really unfortunate. We just couldn't get the connection to work right. So uh, we've rescheduled it. We haven't officially rescheduled it yet as far as a specific date, but he was really cool about uh, the option to reschedule. So as soon as we get a new date for that, we'll let you know. But indeed, we do have some good news to share. Emily, would you like to uh, lay it on the audience? I would indeed. So next Tuesday, you know, barring any other catastrophic events, <laughs> right. we will be getting the uh, an interview with Doug Jones, who plays Cochise. Yeah. Very exciting. That is very, very exciting. I don't think we'll have any technical difficulties for that because he's going to connect via Skype. Tonight we had to try to connect you via Skype and then transfer his cell phone over to Skype, which had worked great in the past, but for whatever reason tonight it wasn't working. But Doug's going to talk to us on Skype next week. So all three of us will be on Skype. It should be pretty straightforward. Knock on wood. Trust Skype. Yikes. Now, did, was he one of the uh, the actors you got to interview at Comic-Con last year? Yes, he was. Doug, Doug was. And he was okay. extremely cool. And uh, really loved talking to him. He's so energetic and uh, mm-hmm. insightful. So it's going to be a lot of fun talking to him next week. Yes, very much. All right. So what is our mission here today? Our mission, we should are... you accept it, is to recap of course. All, Always accept. <laughs> all previous three seasons of Falling Skies. Get the <laughs> audience ready for season four and get everybody pumped. Think we can handle that? Oh, of course. Well, I don't know if we can recap season one and season two, but we will at least give a general overview, right? Yeah, it's just a general overview. We we are assuming that most of you listening to this podcast have already watched seasons one through three, but we also recognize that because this is a new Golden Spiral Media podcast that we're starting in season four of a series, that some of you haven't watched all of Falling Skies before, so. What we're going to do is give you a very brief overview of season one and two. We kind of touched on this a little bit last week, and then we'll we'll dig into season three. So you should have a pretty good idea of what's going on when you tune in this Sunday, June 22nd at, what is it, 10-9 Central on TNT? <laughs> yes, 10-9 Central. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if nothing else, if you haven't seen the show yet, hopefully this will encourage you to go back and see it. Because I, th- I was trying to encourage my parents to go back and watch. They'd seen like the first couple episodes, and they're they're uh, season one moves a little bit slow at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then it hits a spot where it just takes off, and you, I mean, the characters just bring you in, and you're lost for the rest. <laughs> yeah. Series. It's funny you say that because as I was going through the episodes today, I didn't do a full series rewatch. I didn't even do a full season three rewatch. Instead, what I did was I went through articles and, and mostly wiki, uh, fan wiki sites, recapping and looking at things because I'd seen all the episodes before. I just needed a refresher. And when I was going through season one, there was a couple times where I, I I thought, man, is this it? Is this all there was in season one? I, I thought there was more than this. And yeah. it, it does start a little bit slow. Season two even starts a little bit slower, or maybe it starts with a bang and then, then kind of slows down. But yeah, then it really picks up. All of last season was really, really good. And have you watched any of the preview stuff that they've put out for this no. season four? Holy cow. I, yeah. <laughs> Holy well, cow. You know, I, I've seen a couple previews here and there, especially like on TNT. Mm-hmm. If you're watching right. um, television live, but I really don't like spoiling myself and yeah. <laughs> I'm just excited for it. So I can't really bring myself to. Well, they've, they've done some videos already. They've done an eight or nine part series where it's a mystery group that is, or at least a mystery person that is doing a documentary and he goes to Pope so there's, I don't know if I can remember all these, but there's one for Pope. There's one for the two eldest Mason boys. There's one for Lourdes. There's one for Maggie. Uh, gosh, who else does he interview? Oh, one of the other berserkers. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Um, well, not, uh, crazily is dead. She's Lyle. Dead, right. Um, I don't uh, think it's Lyle. Hector? No, it definitely wasn't him. The guy, it's, it's the, the guy with the facial scars. Oh, Anthony. Yes, Anthony. Uh, so the, anyway, he's interviewing each of these one by one and just getting pieces of information. When, when he interviews Anthony, Anthony becomes a little suspicious of him and refuses <laughs> to, to answer any more questions. Okay, so they're in character. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes, okay. yes, yes, okay. yes. And it's really well done. Each of them are available for free in iTunes, and you can probably find them online at the TNT YouTube channel as well. I know a few of them are, are there, so I assume all of them are there. And then there's also a, like a five-minute preview. I wonder if it's like the first five minutes of the season uh, that, that's also been released. It's really amazing. And then the first episode is already available on iTunes for free. Seriously? Seriously. I have not watched it. I wanted at least, I might watch it between now oh, and, and Sunday, but I, w- I didn't want to do this episode good. tonight having watched it and be. Well, thank you. I appreciate that because <laughs> I did not even know it was available. Yeah. I'm a bad podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of great content already available for season four. So go over. I would, I would try first. If, if you're not an iTunes fan, you know, I would try iTunes first, but if you're not an iTunes fan, go over to the TNT the Falling Skies YouTube channel because I bet they're all there. I know at least some of them are there. There's another video that I didn't mention and it is like a preview of the season. So I know there are some spoilers in there that I wish I hadn't seen. 
Oh no. But, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're going to move on from Daryl fangirling and <laughs> <laughs> It just looks so exciting. It's great to have this show back. I'm really excited. Yes. No, I I definitely am too. There I I did do a full season 3 rewatch and I was very glad that I did because I remember it moving a lot slower than it did during the rewatch, but of course, you know, you get to watch them all in a very quick succession, but right. I was just, well, actually, I was amazed at how quickly everything happened in the season. You know, I I felt like certain storylines were drawn out a lot more than they actually were. So it was, it it always gives you a different perspective when you do a a crunch time rewatch. Right. It sure does. Yeah. It's a good point. Maybe I should have done that. Now you're making me wish I had gone back and binged them all. Well, you know, that's what my job is. Make you wish to do things. Thank you so much. (laughs) Anytime. I wish that you would start telling us about some of these characters as we get into our recap. Sure, sure. All right, you want to alternate? Okay, sounds good. All right, so our lead character, Tom Mason, played by Noah Wiley. He is a former history professor at uh, Boston University. Can you remember? That sounds right. I believe that's right. Okay. Uh, very adamant about uh, bringing in history to the present day and just making sure that people realize that, you know, these, in in a sense, all of these things have already happened in one form or another, and it is the human will to survive and move forward. So he's very inspirational, but he's also had a tremendous evolution over the first three seasons Mm -hmm. in that uh, there, he was a such a, such an optimist at the beginning. And, you know, after uh, losing Anne for a little bit in season three, he really lost a lot of that. So I think, his perspective, his his paradigm has shifted a little bit and he's taking a little harder approach to probably what's to come. So it, it'll be interesting to see how he's portrayed in this next season. Yeah, Hardened is going to be interesting because of what he did to Karen in the finale. And that was directly related to her being a part of kidnapping Anne. Yes. So Anne is the love interest of Tom. They haven't officially been married, I don't think. I don't really think that they feel there's really a a, a need, per se, for marriage in this fight-for-your-life-die-at-any-moment world that they, they call home. Uh, but they have this relationship, and she's really accepted all of Tom's boys to be, you know, not her own, but to, to accept that role of being a mother as best she can to all of them. But she and Tom also had a daughter last season who we'll talk about in just a moment. The daughter's name is Alexis, affectionately referred to as Lexi. Um, she's also the doctor for the group and is very, very skilled at her profession. So uh, that's Anne Glass. And Anne Glass is played by Moon Bloodgood. Who incidentally is in a lot of sci-fi films and Yeah, she did Journeyman, which is one of my favorites. I fanboyed out a little bit when I talked to her at Comic-Con last year. I was like, I love Journeyman. I wish they hadn't gotten canceled. And she's like, okay, restraining order. (laughs) Did she really? No, no, no. She actually perked up and was really excited that I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard of that movie. It's a show. It got canceled when the writer's strike happened a few years ago. Oh. But it's on Hulu for free. Okay. Yep. I'd have to go check that out. All right, Hal Mason, portrayed by Drew Roy, is Tom's oldest son. Uh, he also, well, when when the show started, he was sixteen. You know, very 
eager to join in and all the fighting, but very inexperienced. And over the next two or so years, he develops a much more leadership role, grows a lot, matures a lot, uh, starts a relationship with a much older woman <laughs> slash she's probably my age, but <laughs> 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 moving on. Uh, he, uh, in the last season, he was the focal point for a lot of the season because I think the audience maybe slightly suspected, but didn't really. But uh, he at least suspected he was the mole that had been giving up information to the Eshveni. And uh, his, there were some, he, he, Drew Roy really came out as an actor in that last season. He was given some great moments to shine and character overall has improved for me. I, I like him a lot more than I did at the beginning. I found him a little bit annoying in the first season, but I like him now. Probably because he's matured. <laughs> and he's, uh, you mean physically matured? Like he's good looking and he's turned into a nice, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that statement. I see. All right. The uh, next character is the middle brother of the three, Ben Mason, and he is played by Connor Jessup. And his story is really, really interesting. He was pivotal in season one, because he was kidnapped by the aliens and the, a harness was put onto him. And so he was under their control. A lot of season one was efforts of Tom trying to, at all costs, rescue his son from the aliens. When they got him back, they were able to successfully free him from the harness, although it left some spikes in his back. And we learned that those spikes give him some really special powers. He he does not seem to ever get tired. He has incredible stamina and endurance. He's incredibly strong, and he can also communicate with the aliens, uh, with some of the aliens through his spikes. But he can also be manipulated by the aliens through his spikes. So there's always some sort of a danger for that. But for the most part, he's been able to make the most and use those to the best of his advantage. And uh, he's a great, he's turned into a nice young man too. He was a boy, you know, an adolescent when the season the series started. And now he's, I would guess he's getting close to 20 years old and he's really filled out and he's really a nice addition to the fighting team as well. Yeah. Uh, next character, Matt Mason, who is the youngest of Tom's sons. He's portrayed by Maxim Knight and probably... Uh, you know, those the kids that start when they're really, really little. I mean, he couldn't have been more than 10, you think, when the show began? Yeah, if, if that, yeah. If that. And he, the the few previews that I have seen for season four, he just looks like a young man. He's yeah. growing up. So uh, it started off, you know, very, very aware of his surroundings, very sensitive to the people around him, particularly his father, you know, who he doesn't want to disappoint. And even to Anne who becomes a sort of mother figure for him. Uh, the boys lost their mother in the alien invasion. And so he's really been looking for a home, I think, in, all, in most of these stories and uh, tries to find it in some friends who they get into a lot of trouble. But the boys seem to stick together overall. And he, and I think it has a lot to do with just seeing them each in their situation. You know, the, the his older brothers look after him a lot and even a lot of the berserkers <laughs> just love the kid and mm -hmm. it's just 
it's cool to see how he can grow in different ways because of the people who just love him. I mean, it's so funny that despite the fact Pope finds Tom so impossible to be around that he can still have developed, you know, whatever kind of rapport with this little kid. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, he's a really cool kid, good, good character. And it's partially because of him, I would I would say, the, all the Mason boys, but the younger ones especially, that each season tends to jump forward in time about seven or eight or nine months, which is the actual calendar period of time that these young men have grown so that their <laughs> character stays consistent with the actual physical growth that each of them have occurred in real life. Yeah, unlike Walt, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, they figured that out. They learned from it. <laughs> the next character is Lexi, the daughter of Anne and Tom. Now, in last season, she was born. She was she, so she was portrayed by several actors or actresses. I, I don't know if the baby was a was a little boy or a little girl, but she is very very interesting because she's not fully human. It. It's easy to say that she's half alien, but I don't know that that's quite accurate either. Part of her DNA is has been altered, and so she is definitely not fully human. We don't know the full reason as to how or why that happened, who was behind it, and what their intentions might have been for causing it. And I think that's a really compelling part of the story that hopefully we'll get some answers to in season four. In season three, once she got of age, she got to be about six years old. Uh, she aged very rapidly because of her alien DNA. So in season three, that six-year-old Lexi was portrayed by Erica Forrest. However, in season four, she will have aged even more. We're not, I don't know exactly how old she'll be in season four. I think that she'll be a teenager, but I could be wrong on that. But in season four, she is being portrayed by Scarlett Byrne. This is really a, a, an amazingly interesting character. The chat room was just asking a little while ago, if Spielberg or somebody else created this character because Moon Bloodgood was pregnant. And I don't know the answer to that, Emily. I don't know if you do or not. I know that Moon or the, the Anne character was kidnapped last season and gone a lot of the season because of Moon's pregnancy. But did they actually create this character because Moon got pregnant? Hmm. I don't know. But either way, this is a fascinating character. Oh, undoubtedly. No, I don't know that. I, I don't think I even look specifically for that Greg Beeman often posts stuff like that on his blog, but mm -hmm. all I can remember is him just explicitly saying that they they did provide, I think, an opportunity for Anne to become pregnant <laughs> to account for the. But yeah, I'm glad that it did take some sort of uh, some additional form other than just you know a, a pregnancy with mm -hmm. a normal baby because yeah. that would have just been done before. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, once or twice or. Maybe a couple times. Maybe more than that. But the other really interesting thing about Lexi, at the very end of season three, and we'll talk about this more, one of the characters that we haven't spoken about yet is Lourdes. And Lourdes had been infected with these alien bugs. And Lexi just reached out her hand in front of Lourdes and all of the alien bugs crawled out of Lourdes and... Lexi destroyed them all. And so she's got these amazing powers that are yet not yet fully even remotely understood, which again, just makes her incredibly intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Captain Dan Weaver is portrayed by Will Patton. And when the show first started, all I'd ever seen him in, in was uh, Remember the Titans. <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't seen that. Yes, I have. Okay. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay, so I don't remember him in that though. 
he was the head coach that was usurped by Denzel Washington's character. Oh, okay. Okay. And I, I mean, I loved that movie. So I, it was just surprising that I hadn't seen him in anything since then, but he is so the, the actor Will Patton is just so whenever you see him, you know, it's him. It's like, there's something about his face or whatever that you just, he's so distinguished in that way. But uh, very particular. He, former military, you know, I guess still military, but mm-hmm. formal, uh, official military, and has a daughter who has now joined the ranks of the second mass, Jean. Mm-hmm. And uh, surprisingly a family man. And he grows to see the second mass more as a family as time goes on. It starts off butting heads with Tom, but they develop a very close friendship, a partnership, and it extends into the front lines more often than we'd like to see. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's been a very powerful force for the second mass, both in advocating the rights of the citizens and in just uh, encouraging humans to stand up for their right to be where they are, especially against the Volm in the last season. He's, I like, I like his voice of dissent. You know, he's always the, the other voice in Tom's ear going, are you sure you want to be doing this? And sometimes he doesn't press as hard as he should, even when he knows his gut is right. But, uh, he, he always seems to know, uh, helps to fill in Tom's blind spots. So he's such a good character in that way. He's so good. And the next character is John Pope portrayed by Colin Cunningham. And he is, He's part of the second mass because it's convenient. They, he doesn't really like being there with them. They don't necessarily like him being there with them either, but it's, it's a relationship that they know that they all benefit from. But you also get the feeling that when he feels like that opportunity is, the opportunity is better elsewhere, he's going to go elsewhere. He's the leader of a group that affectionately called the Berserkers, which obviously we drew inspiration from for the name of this podcast. And they were kind of this really tough seasoned gang, if you will, in season one that had had some success in, in resisting and killing some of the aliens. And through a series of circumstances, that's how they kind of joined ranks with the second mass. But he's very smart. He's used to calling his own shots, but because he's joined ranks with the second mass, he doesn't always get to call his own shots, and he uh, is very opinionated as well, and that makes for some high drama on the show. Yeah, where uh, Dan Weaver's character won't always say everything that he wants to say Mm -hmm. to Tom, Pope is the one who says the things that uh, Weaver doesn't say. (laughs) Exactly. All right, so Daryl mentioned Lourdes. Uh, She's the other doctor on the show, primary doctor. There are a lot of doctors in the infirmary at Charleston, but Lourdes uh, has always been a little, I always thought she was a lot younger than she was. Just the actress looks pretty young, but Mm -hmm. before the invasion, she was pre-med and now has learned from Dr. Glass and has become pretty much a full-fledged doctor. Mm -hmm. She can analyze x-rays and all that stuff and (laughs) show people what's wrong with them and analyze situation so she's uh she's come a long way but in the last season we found out she was the mole and even though we can attribute her actions to the eye worms you know the 500 of them or whatever that were <laughs> inside of her 
it's still going to be probably very difficult for the uh, for the second mass to forgive all that she has done because she killed Manchester. Yep. She killed the president. Yep. The she president of the United States. gave up plans to, yeah, the president of the United States, excuse me. Well, and Terry O'Quinn. I mean, nobody yeah. shoots Terry O'Quinn. O- only <laughs> Mike Limerson is allowed to kill Terry O'Quinn. Yes. Right. And that's already happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> different show, sorry. Uh, different. Oh, yeah, right. What are we talking about? <laughs> um, so she's done a lot of very horrible things, granted, through the instructions of the eye worms, but. Still, it's it's hard for it's it's an, it's going to be another one of those interesting uh, situations where we have to balance the difference between someone acting of their own free will and being controlled by something else, and being able to separate those acts and forgive the person, not <laughs> what they were controlled, uh, what their actions were when they were being controlled. So it'll be interesting to see if they can forgive her. And I, that was part of the struggle when that documentary style video that I mentioned that, that involves her. A mm-hmm. lot of the conversation there is her guilt, if you will, of all the things that she's been told that she did while she was possessed by those uh, eye worms. And so it's really, really interesting. So not That's only right. are they not sure if they can trust her, she's dealing with the actions that she did while not under her own control. And the uh, final character, no, we have one more after this. Uh, well, this is Maggie, played by Sarah Carter. And Maggie is, she was originally came into the story because she was with Pope's gang, and but she had been forced to be with them. She didn't like being with them. And so she kind of got away from them first. This was before the kind of the Pope gang really joined in with the second mass, but she has proven herself to be a very, very capable fighter. She has a dark past, a past that she's ashamed of, but those that she's shared her past with, they don't hold it against her at all. I mean, everyone has got skeletons in their closet on this show. And she's been the love interest to Hal, of course, which we already talked about, the eldest son of Tom Mason. However, when last we saw her character... She was putting a couple of bullets into Karen, and Karen had been Hal's love interest before the invasion. Karen had since been abducted by the aliens and had been completely overtaken by them, even being appointed one of the overlords, which we'll talk about. So, given the opportunity, Maggie ended her life and did what she felt was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's going to cause a little bit of strain in the Hal-Maggie relationship going forward. Mm -hmm. Maybe a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. To cap it all off, Cochise, portrayed by Doug Jones, who will we who we will be interviewing next week. Cochise came in as a character in this third season. He is one of the Volm, and when we were first introduced to him, he's already developed a pretty close relationship with Tom. I don't know if a solid friendship had formed quite yet because they go through a lot in the mm-hmm. third season, which actually makes them friends, but mm-hmm. Very well spoken. His name, his real Volm name, is one that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Aww. Can you? Can you? Can you pronounce it? Heck no. <laughs> we'll 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 get Doug to do it yes, next we week. Will. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but primarily, his role had been to assist in the development of this weapon that will supposedly take out um, a section of the Ashveni's defense grid, mm-hmm. so that their ships can come and land on earth. And that was all to that because the Volm we learn have been, you know, circulating around the universe 
saving civilizations from Eshfeni takeovers. And Earth is just the next stage in that process. And so one of the biggest reveals at the end of the season is that the Volm didn't exactly have innocent plans for the humans. Every other planet they'd visited had been uh, just more than willing to comply with their orders to vacate the premises and you know be kept in camps to keep them safe. But the humans that they encountered are like, no, we want to stay here and fight for our right to live. And they just had never encountered that before. So I think uh, Cochise was a big part in helping the the second mass, at least, to remain where they are and continue to fight. So it'll be interesting to see if they, I mean, I I can't imagine they're not going to be interacting with the Volm at all this season, but now that they're out on their own, do you think that it won't be as much interaction? That's hard to say because of some of the things that I've seen and I haven't seen much, but what some of the things I saw did make me wonder that Um, my impression at the end of season three was that, they the Volm didn't want them. They wanted to send them to Brazil and let them fight their fight for them. The Volm wanted to fight the human fight for the humans. But the humans, obviously, as you just said, didn't want that. And so I felt like they were going to be, you know, still fighting shoulder to shoulder. I hope that that's still the case. Uh, I imagine it will be the case, but I do have some doubt after seeing just like that five-minute preview that I mentioned to you, what what mm-hmm. I thought might be the first five minutes of the show, that video alone was like, hmm, I don't know what's going to mm-hmm. happen here. So I don't know. I don't know. It'll probably come full circle. Like they won't see each other much at first, but then mm-hmm. the, the the groups that they're fighting against will probably come together because mm-hmm. that's how TV shows work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. This this TV show definitely falls into some of those tropes and, and predictabilities, but not always. And I, I do love that yeah. about the show. There there are enough novelties in the show to make the tropes worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there's just some things you can't avoid. People are who they are in whatever circumstance. So right. it's just uh, the, the story itself is pretty unique, yeah. I think. And there's nothing new under the sun. All these things have been done in one form or fashion somewhere, somehow. Um, but they haven't necessarily been mixed together in this way before. Right. Well, let's talk well, about... Sorry. Some of the alien species, if you will, I don't know what else to call them, uh, that have made their way into the show. We'll start with the, the Volm there that we were talking about. Cochise is the most well-known Volm. We've seen a few of them on screen. A lot of them were killed in the penultimate episode last season. But primarily, we've only dealt with Cochise. And then uh, a little bit in the in this season three finale, we dealt with Cochise's father, who is the Volm commander for the group of Volm that are present in this story so um that's it they can't they came in at the very end of season two that was kind of the cliffhanger and we weren't sure whether or not we could trust them we learn that they want to kill the overlords the ashvini very very badly the ashvini have been ravaging their planet for years and their ultimate desire is to kill the ashvini and be able to for their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren be able to reoccupy their home planet and watch flowers grow. We see, we hear, you know, Cochise talk about that at one point. So the Volm are very much enemies as we understand it, you know, taking them at face value, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is always, you know, you want to keep your 
you know, suspicions, I think, a good healthy suspicion for the Volm. But if you take them at face right. value, they, they hate the Ishvini and their primary motivation is to kill the Ishvini at all costs. Right. Well, I think they're a lot like humans in that way where there will be some who can connect with the indigenous species and be certain to develop some empathy toward them or sympathy. And But then there will be others who will always be dedicated to their mission. So it'll, yeah, be fun. So the Ashveni are the the first, well, we didn't really get to see the Ashveni until, was it late in the first season mm-hmm. or even the second season? Well, it was, I think we saw them from a distance in season one. That's right. When they're, when they're scoping out Boston, mm-hmm. they see them through um, binoculars, but they're the tall, lanky, wiry right. beings. Fish heads is what they call fish them heads. because they there have big eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and they seem to be the ones that are in control of the skitters. Uh, these are the overlord that captures Tom in the season one finale mm-hmm. is, uh, he seems to have a great deal of knowledge of humans and of their history. He uses a lot of human history against Tom in order to reason with him. But, you know, ultimately Tom intellectually wins that battle, but. In terms of their mission, they seem to be extremely well-versed in sciences and, I don't know if you would call it astronomy, but their version of astronomy, they they really believe that they can <laughs> predict all of the world's futures and prepare for it. But they seem to have been taken by surprise a lot lately, so mm-hmm. perhaps they just have never encountered the humans before and don't know how to account for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to see them go down. That's right. (laughs) Well, you mentioned the skitters. That's the next group on our list here. They are six-legged alien creatures. We learn, I think in season one, that they actually have not always been skitters. They, they, morphed if you will. Uh, they had, they had been harnessed at one time by the Ishveni and by having the harnesses on them for so long, they kind of, physically transformed into these skitters and just kind of amazing to think about. And they are incredibly powerful. They are, they can communicate uh, telepathically. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, they are obviously very fierce warriors are six legged and they can they sleep upside down hanging from buildings. So they have the whole creep factor going on and they have been a, a very they were they were the the first enemy that we saw the second mass encounter and they had a hard time figuring out how to kill them and they they finally were able to to come up with some ways to to kill them but they are still a very formidable foe and used by the Ishveni as kind of a first line of defense mm-hmm. <clears throat> luckily some of them are on our side now though yep that's right uh the two-legged Aliens, well, the other pair of two-legged aliens, the mechs, and I suppose the Bang of Mechs can be included in that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they're just giant robots with seemingly impenetrable armor, but we did find a way to take them down. Uh, it was probably end of season one. That must have been when, was it Pope came up with the bullet that would penetrate the armor of the mech i thought it was i can't remember who came up came up with it or one of the other kids that could have been but pope was involved with it he well yeah he's always been part of the group that's 
manufacturing mm-hmm. the weapons. Right, so, right. Yep. okay, I might just be merging two things. But so then the Megamex we saw at the beginning of the third season, right? They're the even bigger ones. Right. They're not too different, but just bigger and stronger, more resilient. Yeah. After they thought they took them down, they would just rise from the ashes yeah. and the rubble. <laughs> Bigger, more guns. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Scarier. Yeah. And then we have at least one new creature to worry about this season. This is on one of those videos that they released. It's, it's a Know Your okay. Enemy series. They did these last season, but also before this last season three. They've done a couple of them this season as well. These Know Your Enemy videos. They're called Black Hornets. We just talked about skitters being these six-legged things that are very formidable, very powerful, very creepy, sleeping upside down. Hey, let's add some deformities due to tumors and some wings. Yeah, they can fly now. And those are your black hornets. So flying, more menacing skitters. I'm going to take a wild guess that I'm not going to like that. <laughs> they cannot. Yeah. <laughs> That's disgusting. Can you imagine a swarm of black hornets coming on the horizon? No. That would be, oh my goodness. Is that what they're actually calling them is black hornets? Yes. Yeah, that's it. Do they have six legs? Yeah, they said they were skitters with wings is how it's described in the video. Interesting. Yeah. That is going to (laughs) be, oh dear. (laughs) What else? What else do our, our poor fighters have to deal with? Yeah, exactly. Oh, all right, all right, should we jump jump into season one overview? Let's do it. All right, so season one, the aliens attack and kill about 90% of the human population. Almost immediately, children are captured and enslaved by the aliens. Uh, they put those harnesses on them that we talked about in episode zero, and I think you just mentioned them mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and the second mass rescues a lot of children, including Tom's middle son, Ben, and successfully, mostly successfully remove the harnesses with just very few side effects on some kids. But Karen, after she is captured, they, they are not able to recover her, at least not willingly. <laughs> and then very early on, the second mass joins forces with the resistance group called the Berserkers. And even though the relationship there is a bit tense and reluctant, it ends up being very uh, profitable for both sides. <laughs> One side can eat now and the other side has a nice first line of defense. Right. But the alien overlord threatens to call Ben back through the use of his harness unless Tom goes with them at the end of the season. And he and Tom is then taken up into the alien spaceship, leaving Dan Weaver standing below watching him fly off. Yeah, exactly. And the chat room has told us that the Berserker title might not have come into play until season two. That might be the case. I don't remember. I've just, to me, they're the Berserkers. So maybe that wasn't until season two. I'm not sure. Do you? I, yeah, them? no, I, I think that's very true. Okay. I, I call them the Berserkers just because they're the same group of people. But right. thank you for correcting us. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, season two overview, Tom obviously escapes, gets away from the overlords. He makes it back to where the second mass is. Unfortunately, he's shot by his son unaware. His son was unaware of it at the time, but he survives that, of course. But now that he's back, a lot of the people don't trust him. And so a lot of the season or a good chunk of the season was the dynamic of is Tom trustworthy or not. And it did turn out that he had a, a eye worm that had been implanted into him that was taking back information, but they were able to get that out of him. 
a group of friendly skitters. Emily mentioned those earlier. They start assisting the second mass. And this is where once they do rescue Ben and get that harness off, he's able to kind of come into his own with his powers. And they're able to, he's also able to serve as a communication liaison between the skitters and the humans, which was really important because obviously the humans didn't trust the friendly skitters at first. Uh, Karen comes back, but turns out that she's still very much under the control of the alien overlords. And throughout this season, we see the second mass trying to make their way to Charleston. They felt like they'd heard there was good things at Charleston and felt like if they could make it there, then that was going to be their best chance of having any kind of normal life and also surviving. So they, they do finally make it to Charleston. The season ends, though, as they attack and kill an alien overlord, a big win, but that's when the Volm arrive, the new alien race arrives. We weren't sure there at the end of season two what to make of this new alien. And because the alien overlord is killed, Karen is put in to replace the alien overlord's position. That is something I still don't really understand. I don't either. I really don't. It's It was cool for the story, but why do you put a human, even though you manipulate, yeah. you control that human, you still think you'd put one of your own... Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that the humans have some sympathy for the personage that mm-hmm. they see before them. So maybe it gives them an edge. It certainly causes Hal to hold up sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. when he's supposed to shoot her. So that's the only thing I can think of. But I, it doesn't make any sense from a alien perspective. Why in the world? Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's... I, I think that's absolutely true, but at the same time, do you have to make her in the position of overlord in order yeah. to accomplish that end? And that's a very good point. I, mean, I don't know that you did, but it no. still made for some really interesting yep. story. Right. <laughs> or maybe she was just that ruthless that she was <laughs> a natural born Ashbeni. <laughs> maybe so. It was her calling. <laughs> All right. So a lot of happened in season three. Yeah. And where should we begin? Well, the this, this season began seven months after season two. By this time, the Volm, uh, primarily through Cochise and Tom, have been working together quite a bit. Tom trusts the Volm quite a bit, still not fully at the beginning of the season, but because he's been working with them for seven months there has definitely been a level of trust that has been established there. But that also leads to the Ashvini getting a little bit desperate, and that desperation begins with them trying to plant a mole within the group at Charleston. Right. And I know I went through ups and downs of who the mole is, and I think we talked about this a lot. We did. TV talk last year. Yeah. I mean, at first it seemed like it was Hal, but then it seemed too obvious. Right. Especially when, you know, the good Hal and the bad Hal started vying for primary control over his body. Mm-hmm. Uh, he pulled a little golem there at one point. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, so I, I think we just, we both dismissed Hal as the actual mole pretty quickly, but despite that, he was still assisting Karen in some ways. He was there when Anne was taken. So he's at least assisted, but then who did we suspect? Peralta. (laughs) Peralta was our, I think our number two. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I think I wrote this here. 
especially when she was sworn in as president and that episode just ends with her taking the oath and it just like zooms up really close on her and, <laughs> and you're going, I know you're the mole. <laughs> yeah. I know that it was probably the the person that ended up being their Lourdes was probably the last person that we suspected. Mm. Yeah. Just so sweet. Yeah. And, and they, you know, unlike when we, when we saw Hal taken over by the eye worm and he turns into that, you know, suave, cool guy who doesn't care about anything and can mm-hmm. sweet talk Maggie into forgiving him, you know, it's, it's like, you know, he's still acting unnaturally, but how long have the eye worms been in Lourdes and how long really has she been acting or not herself? I mean, yeah. I don't know. They're just, it was less obvious with her. And that just might have been because they hadn't decided who the mole was yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> but, know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was like season three of Bones when they didn't know who Gorgamon's apprentice was going to be yet. And they just decided to make it her. <laughs> I can't. Eric. Or I think his name was Eric. It was a long time I've ago. I've seen like but, five episodes of Bones. But they just like threw it in at the end because they didn't know who who his actual apprentice was going to be. And then we're all like. Come on. Yeah. But that's just what I'm comparing. Well, the reveal of who the mole was was so, so well done. Because we find out, I think we've, I think we found out before she actually kills the president, right? Or is that when we really knew for sure that, I guess that was the reveal, wasn't it? When she kills. I, I think so. Cause I, I watched all of these in pretty close proximity. And even though you can go back and see her do things, mm-hmm you don't know what she's doing. Yeah. And I think, I think one TV talk talk backer had suspected her because of the, the red med kit. Med kit. Yeah. Yes. And so, and so that, and I think we both just went, no, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. But that was a huge clue looking back on it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So when she is finally revealed as the mole, uh, you know, it doesn't come to light until, was it the penultimate episode or was it the next? It wasn't the finale. It was the one when the building collapses. When right. I think it was three episodes, the third to last episode. It okay. might have been the penultimate though, but it was right there at the very end of the season. Right. And and so for a very long time, Hal really still thinks it was him doing all yeah. these things. And But when she is revealed to be the mole, he's vindicated and all is right with the world again. Except for we with can, Lourdes, she's now been outed yeah. as the mole and the eye worms turn her into like a demon-possessed woman. I felt really bad for her. It is bizarre how, I mean, I, I really, I like the technology in that way. You know, not just that they they possess her, but that when they are corrupted, essentially, or when their mission is corrupted, mm-hmm. they they turn on their host and I like how it, it it's, it's a parasite, but you don't really realize the effects of the parasite until the mission objective has changed. So it's just, I, it's a very clever way to inhabit or I don't know, possess, inhabit or control humans, you know, from a non harnessing point of view. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another part of season three was the storyline with, Anne and Lexi. When Lexi is born, Tom is actually out. He, he actually is there for the birth, but then is quickly called out. He's going to meet with the actual U.S. president that they had just realized was alive. And almost immediately, Anne realizes that Lexi is not normal. She finds her sitting up 
she finds her smiling. This is a baby that was just a couple of days old. Babies don't do that yet, of course. And then just very shortly, a couple of days later, she calls her mom a few times and Anne is freaking out. I mean, who wouldn't in this situation? She then takes some DNA and has it analyzed by a very mysterious character. What was, what was his name? Uh, uh, Dr. Kadar. Kadar, that's it, yeah. Kadar figures out that it doesn't have full human DNA, and he also figures out that it belongs to Lexi. So that puts Anne on the run, and she knocks Kadar out with a big wrench and <laughs> goes on to the run. But then she encounters, as you just mentioned, Hal and Karen, and she is kidnapped by the Ishveni at that point. So yeah, so for most of the season, I think it was season or episode four that she's taken by the. Uh, I don't think it was Karen. I think it was a different. Okay, maybe har- it was. harness child, but even so, same effect really. Mm-hmm. They they take her because they. I don't know. I guess my my guess is just that they knew that they'd need Tom at some point and needed to um, leverage Anne and her baby, but. The only, you know, when, when, when they finally return at the end of the season and Karen gives them up as an act of good faith <laughs> before getting shot in the stomach, <laughs> it, I think we even discussed this on TV talk, but it doesn't seem like they were aware that she had alien DNA, which would surprise me because of how rapidly she grows. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a blind spot for me in just, in terms of what was their true purpose with her, I I suspect maybe something else happened while they were in captivity. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. We you, we got like thirty seconds with them at the end of the season finale, so we yeah. didn't get much information. Well, you had a great theory about this last season. Do you remember what that theory was? Oh yeah, I think my theory was that this. Uh, intentionally altering her DNA was a means to either for the Volm or from another alien species to use her as a bridge between the aliens. Was that it as a means to maybe unify or am I, I didn't remember that. I thought it was for a means to destroy the overlords to get, because she was powerful and would be able to serve as a secret weapon to be able to, you know, conquer the aliens. I like that too, but I think mine was more optimistic. <laughs> I think well, I, I think it was more along the lines of, you know, well, I mean, I'm not saying that. I mean, both are plausible. If somebody yeah. intentionally altered her DNA, then it was either to unite the races or it was to destroy one of them. <laughs> sure, yeah, exactly. And I think that's <laughs> this machine could either be used to build or, or create or destroy. Create or destroy. That's right. And I think that's a, one of the big questions. I posed that question to. Noah Wiley. Noah Wiley is not only the actor that plays Tom Mason, he's also one of the executive producers of the show. And so he's he's got a lot to do with the bigger picture of the show. And I asked that question to him when I spoke with him at Comic-Con last year. And he acted like it was a new idea. And he even like reached like motion like he was going to reach into his pocket and write <laughs> that idea down. And I don't know if he was just, you know, playing it up like I can't play this hand. I'll act like it's a new idea or if it really was a new idea. I don't know. Yeah. But either way, I, I, it was your idea and I, I really like it. I could, because you're right. If, if how could the alien overlords, the Ishvini not know that Lexi has this alien DNA in her? And if they, 
if they did know, then what? Why would they let her go? What's their play here? And that's really intriguing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's. I think it's probably. I think I even said this in episode zero. It's one of the things that I think I am looking forward to most in this next season, just because we've done the fighting and we've done the serving at the front lines and waiting for people to come home after war, but we haven't done something this close to home. Maybe if you consider deharnessing Ben and the other kids, but this is something that could change the face of the human race. I mean, if the, if she is not the only one that has been altered, you know, that'll be something else to look for in this season. But if she is the only one, then there is definitely a purpose <laughs> for mm-hmm. her to do something. But if they are changing more children, they're affecting more pregnancies, then it's going to take us down a very different path. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't even thought of that. I just kind of had her in my mind as the Neo character, the one who's chosen to whatever, fill in the blank. But if there are others like her, that does alter the show direction in in quite a substantial way. And it could be very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Unless there's one child in New York, Boston, Chicago, Mm -hmm. and Jacksonville. Jacksonville, Mm mm-hmm. I love the Jacksonville tie-in. You can't think of that city with television shows and not think of Fringe. Right. <laughs> can't think of most of those cities and not think of Fringe, except well, for Chicago. Chicago, yeah, but you're right about the rest, yeah. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about in season three? <laughs> well, one of the, so at the beginning of the season, we find that Tom has been elected president, which always seemed a little strange to me, too, because it's like, all right, this is one very small group of survivors and they're going to restart the United States of America. I just, I don't, I'm, I'm a patriot. Don't get me wrong. You know, I. Wait, 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 wait. Brother, what show are we talking about here? I know, I know. We'll get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> but my brother is a Marine. You know, I, I support the United States. I, I have, I have patriotism. <laughs> so don't get me wrong here, but it just is very curious to me when an apocalypse occurs or when there's some sort of, you know, huge catastrophic event, why do people immediately try to rebuild the United States? You know, is it just the form, uh, something that people can unite under, do you think? Because that's, I just, I don't really see why it has to be, you know, we have to elect a president. Why can't people just make it work? <laughs> I think that it's it's because there is a desire for something that they are familiar with, some sort of That's, normalcy. Yeah, I can I can see that. And Clearly, because uh, it, when the Monroe Republic was established, it didn't really go over so well. <laughs> so I well, guess when they try to do it on their own. <laughs> That's right. Because we know in Revolution, we could trust those guys called patriots. Oh, yeah. They were upstanding citizens Absolutely. with our best interests in mind. Could you pass the orange juice, please? Mm-mm. <laughs> Don't give right. me typhoid. Yeah, no kidding. Um, did we talk about Hal's eyeworm? Yes, because it was uh, uh, in when we were talking about the mole. Okay, okay. But oh. I think the other part to that, so we're to believe that Karen injected both Hal and Lourdes. I don't know if it was Karen, but yeah, somebody did. Okay. But I don't really... know that if they're injected with it, the eye worm can kind of fly in and kind of crawl into your ear. That's true. There was an episode early on in season three when Karen was explaining to Hal what she'd done to him. And I didn't go back and listen again, but it sounded like, I don't know if it was, maybe maybe she just used it implanted, but I thought it was something more 
tragic than that because immediately when the worm was injected into him, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, attached to him, he tried to fight it. And she says that because he tried to fight it, that is what caused the paralysis. And I found that. Right, she did say that. Forgotten about that, so yeah. it's interesting, very interesting. But I think one of one of our both of our favorite scenes from season three was when it was actually extracted. Yeah, that was so good. Yeah, and I don't remember if he was injected, if you will, when she kissed him, or if it flew into his ear. But it was one of those two because we've seen it happen. I think both ways. Yeah. I didn't go back yeah. and do the rewatch like you did. So I'm a little disappointed you don't remember that little tidbit. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was hoping for more out of you, frankly. You disappoint me. Well, you know, I have to disappoint someone today. It's still <laughs> Might as well be me. only 8.30. <laughs> oh, I'm I, kidding. The only thing I can remember from, I remember the, la- the end of last season, though, or sorry, the end of season two, we see him looking into the mirror and doesn't it crawl across his face yeah. at that point? Yeah. So I don't know. There, there's just a bit of a timeline that I'm confused with because it sounds like when we, when we're listening to conversations at the beginning of season three, that it was only four months ago that he was paralyzed, but it was a seven month gap between Mm -hmm. the seasons. So either he started to reject it or started to resist it after it tried to make him do something. I don't know. There's just a bit of a timeline yeah. confusion, but it's not, even, it's not that important. It should it, yeah, be I guess that not I anymore. Pick. Yeah. He's not infected with it any longer. Right. Yeah. It has <laughs> thoroughly been <laughs> exercised, exercised from his body. That's right. Uh, something else that happened. We talked a little bit about the president being alive. This was great. There was a great, and I know you'd love to talk about this. There was a great, I think a two episode character arc that was really important in the second mass discovering that the actual president of the United States was still alive. You know, you just mentioned Tom had been elected president, but the real president was still alive. Would you like to talk about this uh, character that I'm talking about and the actress that portrayed her? Uh, I don't remember the, I I don't remember the character's name and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, but I know that you love this actress. Right. Uh, Luvia Peterson. Yes. Sorry, it took me yeah. a second. I don't. Yeah. Oh man. So Luvia Peterson is Jasmine Garza on Continuum, right. and I did get to meet her at Dragon Con. Did you go up and introduce yourself? I did, but you I never? knew that you would have a fangirl moment if I even brought her up. So here's your fangirl moment. Take oh yeah, of course. <laughs> oh no. Hey, you already went, so it's my turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, okay. no, we. I mean, we sat in on three panels with her at Dragon Con, and she's just she's so engaging and energetic and enthusiastic. About about her role on every show and just so willing to talk about it. So she, w- she was really cool about um, her arc on the show. She, she wasn't killed. Right. So we hope we, we would see her more. Right. But it, there was a suspicion that she had been killed because only the president and Cochise survived right. the plane crash. But there's still a chance that some others survived. But uh, so she played a lieutenant in the real president's army and had come to scope out the Charleston at large and found them fighting with aliens and just assumed that they were, I don't know. Do you think they, she assumed they were in cahoots or that they were being controlled? One of the two, because they had aliens in their midst. And so she saw them as an enemy and she's the one that was led to the death of, um, 
Crazy Lee. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she, she ends up coming around because she sees the weapons, the Volmus against the Ashveni when they're attacked mm-hmm. and then helps to reunite President Tom Mason with President Hathaway, who <laughs> incidentally is yet another revolution character. Mm-hmm. But he has a very short arc on yeah. the show, unfortunately. I yeah. actually liked him because that was the first time I had seen that actor in anything since Seventh Heaven. Which it was so, I never yeah, watched, we're talking anyway. about Stephen Collins, and it was so fun yeah. to see him on Falling Skies. And Falling Skies and Revolution had a lot of things in common. And oh, sure yeah. enough, we start season two of Revolution, and there's Stephen Collins' full season character arc. It was great seeing him pop up in, in our favorite television shows last year. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my Jasmine Garza, wait, Luvia Peterson freak out moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, there were two planes. You mentioned the one that the president was in and uh, Cochise was there as, as well as um, Luvia Peterson's character. And the other plane had Pope and Tom in it. And uh, I can't think of the other guy's name. He died. He got impelled with a tree branch. Uh, he was kind of a pain in the butt anyway. Um, he was one of the commanders or whatever yeah. of the, uh, of the second mass of, of Charleston, actually. Right. Yep. Uh, was it Bress, Bressel? Wait. Bressler? Bressler. I think that might be General, right. General Bressler. That sounds right. He's the, the character, the only place I know him from is Eureka. Okay. <laughs> I never saw uh, that one. He plays Taggart, who's the crazy, I think he's Australian. Okay. or something but okay. yeah no just i had never seen him in such a serious role before it was <laughs> it was very interesting but yeah, yeah. he was uh, he's killed very in the plane pivotal crash. yeah in the previous season and yeah. so now he's gone in the yep. beachcraft and yeah and tom and um pope are there stranded together tom is injured he hurts his ankle but the two of them are just butting heads they actually get into a fight and that draws the attention of the skitters. It made it made for a bonding moment. It ended up turning into a bonding moment for the two men, where both of them kind of shared some some of their history. We learned some backstory about Pope, why he actually spent time in prison, and mm-hmm. it worked to actually bring these two men closer together, which was really nice. I don't know if it really brought them closer. It helped them to understand each other. There you I go. Would That's say. a better way of putting it. I'll give you <laughs> I, that. As for I was sure. rewatching that episode, I was just struck by how powerful the writing was in that just because when, when they're, when they're sharing those stories over the campfire that Tom had to build because Pope didn't know how they, it was like, it was Pope was telling him all these things and Tom was realizing the man he was turning into and the fight really starts because he's so angry that he's turning into Pope. And it's just, it was just excellent writing in that episode. It was just so powerful. And that, and that has largely been what we've seen between them and just coming to a head at that time. And I, you know, I think it was Pope really that even encouraged Tom to, stay alive didn't he come back for him in the end yep with a car yep so definitely if, if not bringing them closer together at least making them understand each other right that was a good scene and, and also tom was struggling with leaving his kids you know ben was was not wanting to go to school and was, and was getting into some trouble and uh was it was it ben that was doing that uh no it was matt it was matt you're right thank you and tom was struggling with trying to wear all these hats. He's the leader of the 
you know, of Charleston. He still wants to mm-hmm. go out and fight battles, and he shouldn't be doing that. He's a brand new dad. He's got these other boys, and things are just kind of getting out of control. And it kind of came to a head in that episode. It was it was a great episode. Yeah, yeah. He really was not a good fit as president. He, no. <laughs> I mean, he wants to do too much, but people trust him. I yeah. guess so. He's they a do. natural leader. For the most part, Pope still has his issues with him, as you mentioned, but everyone else seems to really look up to him and trust him. Yeah. All right, uh, Daryl, favorite season three moment? What's on well, your list? you know, this is hard to choose, but there were probably three or four that, that stuck out to me. Uh, the two, I narrowed it down to two. Um, the first was when Hal lost his earworm or when they extracted the earworm from him. I say earworm, eyeworm, um, because it was a risk. He's sitting there pleading with his dad saying, I am, I am me. I do not have this alien crawling around in my head. Dad, you can trust me. And mm-hmm. Drew Roy did such a masterful job in that scene. The risk was if they put this substance into Hal and he ended up not having the eyeworm, then the substance would actually kill Hal. It would it would it wouldn't find anything else to kill and therefore it would kill Hal. It was a tremendous risk that they had to take and it was so well acted by everyone that was in mm-hmm. that room. I loved mm-hmm. that scene. So that was one that came to mind. And then the season ender there with Lexi and Lourdes when Lexi walks up to her, puts her hand out, all the eye worms crawl out of Lourdes's face and Lexi turns them into a powder. It was just like, what? <laughs> Such a good ending. I love both of those scenes. Something is not right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think my favorite, my favorite scene is kind of half of an episode. <laughs> Strange Brew, which was the, uh, the eighth episode of the yeah. season, was the alternate reality, reality that Karen subjects Tom to. Uh, trying to extract some information from him or persuade it out of him puts him into this reality where it puts him back in into Boston you know no alien invasion no dead wife life is going on as normal or what seems to be normal except for a couple odd things here and there yeah. you know there's there's this woman called Anne Glass that keeps trying to get in touch with him who is Anne <laughs> and uh and everybody is trying to get him to choose Boston, New York, Chicago, or Jacksonville. And it was just a really, they, they, they interspersed a lot of the characters in his, you know, post apocalyptic life. Maggie's in there. Pope's in there as one of his fellow professors and he's some metaphysicist professor or something. Metaphysics. Do you philosophy. know who else is in there as one of the professors? Yes, Doug Jones. Doug Jones makes a cameo, not in Cochise. That's right. Makeup. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and yep, and uh, Peralta was in there too. So yeah, a lot of a lot of characters from his uh, post-apocalyptic life were just interspersed as though they were part of his real life. But he starts to see that this reality is not real. So I just I really liked it because it was it was it was such a nice break from the turmoil and <laughs> destruction of the last two yeah. and a half seasons that it was. What if nothing had happened? We kind of got to see him outside of the context of his. Um, military persona but mm-hmm. didn't last long but that's okay because by the time it was over i was ready for it to be done it was such a good episode and it was it was one of those we talked about how this show 
has some similarities to Revolution. This was definitely one of those episodes with an episode we got this season of Revolution where Aaron is put into this nano-induced utopian world, and then he's pulled out of that back into the Revolution post-apocalyptic world or post-power outage world, and then you realize even that is still being controlled by the nanos. Even that was not reality. And the same thing happened in Strange Brew that you're talking about. Yeah. Tom is supposedly sucked out of it, and no, you're still actually in it. And uh, yeah, it was very, very, very similar. But both of them well done in their own ways. Yeah. And now that you say that, even the eye worms bear some similarities to the nanites. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Hmm, I bet the revolution writers were watching Falling Skies last summer. Could be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this was funny too for me right. because this is the episode that aired the Sunday that I was at Comic-Con, the, the last day of Comic-Con. And I had just spoken with the cast of Falling Skies the day before, and they were super excited, but they couldn't spoil anything. So they were saying things like, oh, next episode is so out of the box, and it's amazing, and oh, it was right. so fun for us to shoot and do things differently. And and some of the people at the in the press room had seen the episode already because they got screeners, but I'm not on the screener list. And so, and I wasn't the only one. So some of, and all of them who had seen it are not wanting to spoil all of us who had not yet all seen right. it. And it was just trying to figure out what in the world is going to happen in the next episode. <laughs> Didn't they give you a pre-screen of they, it? At that press room, yes, they gave me a pre-screener, but they, even then I, I waited till the next night to watch it at the normal time. Uh. Yeah. So nice of you to wait. Are you going to wait to watch the first episode of season four? I'm not making any promises. Since I won't talk to you between now and when we do our podcast, I might go ahead and watch it if I get some time. You're going to ignore me for a week? Yeah. I don't want to have any communication with you between now and then. No, we we never talk. (laughs) All right. Maybe I'll work you in. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Just okay. tell me if you watch it so that I can watch it too, because <laughs> I'm not letting you <laughs> lord that over my head. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe. Well, let's talk about some season four predictions, theories, questions, and all that. We've kind of salted these in already as we've been having our discussion over the last hour or so. But what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in season four? Well, it should come as no shock. Mine is about Alexis. I just, I want to know how she became half alien. Like, yeah. Who did this to her? Yeah. Was it because I think one of our one of our guesses theories was that it was it had something to do with Anne's proximity to that new Volm machine that they were given to extract the harnesses from kids. But but I mean even so, well she's the only doctor that had a baby maybe so mm-hmm. that but you know so it could have been was it was it because of proximity to alien technology or did somebody do this intentionally? And I just, I just want to know how mostly because of curiosity, not because I think it'll change the way that the story goes, but I guess learning how will also influence why. (laughs) So that would help. Well, and part of the theory that, that you came up with last season that I then asked Noah Wiley about was that perhaps while Tom was on the Ishveni ship, you know, he was taken captive at the end of season one. Perhaps it was during that time that they altered him. And thus by altering him is how Lexi came to be. But that certainly doesn't seem to be the case. If Lexi's killing the eye bugs, which are controlled by the Ishveni and used as a spy device for them. So that doesn't seem to be the case, but, it really is interesting. How and why did this happen? Yeah. 
One of my yep. questions is what role will she play this year? We saw her, as we've said, get those eye worms out of Lexi or excuse me, out of Lourdes. So what other abilities does she have and how will that come into play this season? Will she be that Neo type of character or will she be, you know, whatever hero you want to come into play here, the Harry Potter character. I don't know what else, what else you want to throw here. What role will she play in, in this story of falling skies? I can't wait to find out. That's right. I threw I the Harry Potter. Sh- I just hope it's not Voldemort. <laughs> I think the fish heads are that. I don't know though. Mm, probably no nose. Yeah, exactly. The nose nose. Yeah. I also want to know if the Volm are going to remain trustworthy. Uh, they have this sort of alliance with the humans. Neither one of them are finding it to be the optimal situation. It's, it's definitely a compromise on both of their parts. And will we find out more? Will, how, where will this relationship go? Will the Volm continue to be a, a trusted resource and valuable asset to the defense of Earth? Will they indeed Mm-hmm. And ultimately, will they defeat the Ishveni? What What would you prefer at the end of the season, Ishveni on Earth or not on Earth, alive or dead? What What would you prefer? Ooh, I hope that by the end of the season, the humans take the fight to the Ishveni homeland. Ooh, they'd have to get some transportation. You know, they're not. They, they're going to hijack a bomb ship. Okay. After killing Cochise's father, oh. and they're going to fly off to Ishfeniville on the other planet. The I could kind of oh, go either thanks, way Barb. here. If the Ishveni are dead at the end of the season, I hope that that doesn't equal to the show being over. I think the show has a lot of life left in it. And I don't think that they would have to be one and the same because I still think that even if the Ishveni are conquered, if you will, in one way or the other, either tail tucked between their legs and going back to their planet or eradicated from existence, there still stands to reason that the Volm could then turn to the humans and go, okay, boys, now we reveal, we're going to pull off the mask and reveal who we really are. Dinner time. or, or Yeah, or some other sort of uh, wrinkle in the story of things. So I could go either way. I just hope that uh, this show does not end with season four. And I don't think it will. I think it's going strong. I think TNT is very happy with it. I'm not really concerned about this show getting a season five. I'm pretty sure it will, but um, so I could go either way. This is a really on the fence answer for me because I I think it's got legs no matter where it goes. The only way that I would be okay with the fight ending at the end of this season is if an even more powerful enemy comes right, right, and, and destroys the Ashveni because they see that the humans are putting up a resistance to them or something mm-hmm. and actually wanting to use the humans for their own means. But I don't, I don't know. I, I can't really see the show <laughs> without the Ashveni, but I'm sure we've said that about a lot of shows. We can't see fringe without David Robert Jones. We can't mm-hmm. see, revolution without the patriots but i mean it you can you just have to you just have to be shown it right and i'm i'm willing to be done i'm willing to be shown it yeah me too me too yeah well i can't wait the season four premiere is june 22nd as we've said sunday this coming sunday and it will be on tnt at 10 9 central or you can go over to itunes right now and get it for free <laughs> who's gonna be doing that tonight 
<laughs> I see how you are. I see how you are. Hey, I also mentioned that five-minute preview. If you want to see the five-minute preview, again, it's in iTunes. It's over on YouTube. I will also have that embedded in our show notes for this episode. Go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash BC01, you know, Berserker Cast. That's zero one, by the way. And I'll have that video embedded so you can check it out if you want. If not, you can just scroll past it and not be spoiled. <laughs> we also have some new feedback information for those of you who've been tuning into Golden Spiral Media Podcasts forever. Our, actually, our feedback information, all of that stuff is still the same. You can still get in touch with us those same ways. But we're also trying to make it easier for you to send in feedback and it get distributed to all of the hosts that we have because we have not only Berserker Cast going this summer, we have the Chester's Mill Gazette podcast that is a Under the Dome podcast hosted by Doug Payton and Karen Lindsay. And we also have Arrow Squad, which is an Arrow podcast that's keeping the Arrow fans active this summer. Uh, that's being hosted by Brian Kane and Kevin Batchelder. And we might even have some other announcements heading your way as well. So stay tuned for that. But we needed to make sure that each of these hosts could get their feedbacks efficiently. So I created a new feedback system. Real simple. GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash feedback. And there you'll find all of the ways that you can contact us. The phone number is there. The speak pipe is there. There's a way you can upload an audio file. There's a way you can actually type out an email contribution so you don't have to email us if you don't want to. Uh, it's all right there, goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. So go check it out and send us in your thoughts about the season four premiere. So clever. And by the way, the deadline to submit your feedback will be Tuesdays at 5 o'clock Eastern Time. And we want to hear from you. We do. So please talk to us. Yep. We'll be recording our live show every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. If you want to join us for the live show, we've got several people joining us for the live show tonight. You can do that over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. We have a webcam that's on. You can watch us and we have the chat room that's open. People are chatting with us and other Falling Skies fans while we do the show. So come be a part of our live show. Again, that's every Tuesday at 8 o'clock Eastern Time over at goldenspiralmedia.com slash live. And uh, for to keep up to date on everything that Golden Spiral Media is doing, be sure to follow us on Twitter at GSM Podcasts or our, join our Facebook group, uh, like us on Facebook, I should say, www.facebook.com slash goldenspiralmedia. And all of those links are on the Golden Spiral Media homepage if you forget or cannot find us. So please get in touch and keep up to date. There are a lot of things coming out this summer and even more headed your way in the fall. But we are excited to be podcasting about Falling Skies. I know I am, and it's shaping up to be a great season. So Definitely. I haven't even seen anything yet. Just yeah. know. Well, I'm excited to be podcasting with you too. It is a lot of yes. fun podcasting with you, and I'm looking forward to it. As am I. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to Berserker Cast Episode 1. We'll be back for Episode 2 that will cover the Season 4 premiere. And until then, resistance is never futile. Tick, tick, boom. Boom. <laughs>